There's a sense that you're going to get found out, that you don't really belong here, and at any moment, somebody's going to figure out that you are, in fact, a fraud. Happiness, success, freedom, energy, fun, balance, strength, peace. It all stems from our physical and emotional well-being. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion with experts to show you the way. This is Be Well, a podcast from Crossover Health. Not sick is not enough. Being well is a movement to get the most we want out of life. In each of our episodes, we pick a health or lifestyle topic, bring in one of our doctors from the front lines, and have a real conversation. Be well, do good, enjoy life. What's up, everyone? This is Dan Lord, Program Director for Crossover Health. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion. Just a reminder, the following presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Today, we have our very special guest, my friend and colleague, Dr. Michael Boroff. He's a clinical psychologist with over 15 years of experience in the mental health field. He currently oversees Crossover's mental health program while also seeing a small number of patients for therapy. Prior to joining Crossover, Dr. Boroff worked for Kaiser Permanente, the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health, and Alameda County Public Health Department. His clinical work has focused largely on depression, anxiety, and trauma, and he has also worked extensively with people struggling with experience involving racism, discrimination, and or injustice. These issues are particularly relevant to today's topic, Michael. Imposter syndrome, it's an issue that lots of crossover members struggle with. Glad to have you on. Yeah, excited to be here and, and, and glad to be talking about this really important subject. I love to hear really quickly kind of about your background and how it impacted your practice. You've certainly, um, you know, practiced in several different environments. How's that informed the way you think about mental health? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a really broad experience, uh, you know, doing therapy. And it's ranged from criminal justice settings to working with homeless populations, kids and families, and you know, with crossover, the, the really uh, broad range of people we see here, similar to my prior experience at Kaiser. And I think it's really steeped my perspective in a strong social justice approach. As, as you read my bio, I've just worked a lot with people who don't look like me. I'm, I'm a white dude with, who's had a lot of privilege and been really fortunate in life. Spent most of my clinical time working with people who, who haven't been that fortunate. And that definitely impacts the way that I look at things and causes me to really think about the context in which problems occur. It's always an important way that I uh, I think about work and, and mental health. You know, we have all sorts of interesting and important conversations around that. Today, I want to go deep on imposter syndrome. I think that is an, kind of an unknown issue and it affects people differently depending on where they're from, where their background is. Could you tell us a little bit more and maybe define like what is imposter syndrome? Yeah, so imposter syndrome um, was the idea that first was developed in the late 70s. And, and it just came out of noticing that there were a lot of these really high achieving women who had this feeling of not belonging in it and, and that they were some way fraudulent and were going to be found out that they you know, that the, their successes and everything else were, were, that they were experiencing professionally were not legitimate. 
um, in some way that was the internal feeling that that mm. these women have and and it led to a whole kind of field of study and and, a, and an area that's becoming increasingly studied of late and and it's it really is this idea that particularly this happens in high achieving environments like universities medical schools mm -hmm. law schools um, certainly in the world of tech we have a lot of really high achieving people there's a sense that that you're going to get found out that you don't really belong here and at any moment somebody's going to figure out that you are in fact a fraud and and it's all going to come crashing down and that's a it's a really difficult feeling to manage seriously seriously it affects i'm sure all parts of mental health and really your career growth and and a lot of aspects yeah, I mean, when you think about the way that impacts behavior, like in workplaces and in schools, and and certainly with imposter syndrome in schools, we look at increased dropout rates, and you know we've seen it you know, first generation college students, students of color experience it disproportionately, and that it impacts mm. performance. And then when you think about the workplace, the sense that you know, you, you don't want to get caught, and so you work extra hard, and you you know you're, you're constantly working, saying yes to everything, not setting boundaries, you know, just really doing everything you can to you know because inside there's this belief this isn't legitimate, and I need to do all of this to maintain this image that others have of me right now, and yeah. think about the burnout and the anxiety and everything that can come from from doing that over an extended period of time. It's rough. We felt so strongly about this issue and that it was, you know, it wasn't looked at hard enough that we, we published on it, right? We did our own research. We actually published the first uh, systematic review of imposter syndrome that's, that's out there, correct? That's right. Yeah. Dr. Dina Bravada, who does a lot of the research work for us at, at Crossover, was the kind of the lead author. And we did a look at what does research say about imposter syndrome and just a, and, and a really detailed look at all of the research that had been done on it. And what we noticed was that there were a lot of, uh, a lot of holes in it. It just still hasn't been adequately researched. A lot of focus on younger populations and very different definitions of what imposter syndrome is. And I think that's important to note as well as this isn't a diagnosis in our kind of diagnosis manual that we use as therapists. We know that this phenomenon exists, but there isn't any established criteria for it. And it's not something we can diagnose somebody with as, as a mental health provider. Um, so that creates some challenges. It affects a lot of people. There's a real prevalence. Yeah. I mean, depending on, on what you're looking at, you know, there's some estimates that up to 70% of people experience something like this at some point in their life. It affects men, women, white folks, folks of color, like anybody can experience it but it seems to maybe impact certain groups more than others. That makes sense. And we'll post a link to that paper in, in the show notes. It's in the Journal of General Internal Medicine from, from last year. We'll, we'll post that. And then that was followed up by a, a commentary piece that you were published with Dr. Bravada. I'd love for you to speak on that a little bit because that was just additional insight. Yeah, you know, I think that was a, a really important addition to the study. And, and there were a few things that I thought were important. One is, as therapists, we need to be better trained at, about imposter syndrome, identifying it and thinking about how mm -hmm. to treat it. And then I think the other piece, and this has been a real criticism of the imposter syndrome literature, is that it didn't really, especially initially, take into account factors like racism and xenophobia and sexism and homophobia and and, and all of these kind of biases, prejudices, racisms that 
quite likely contribute to feelings of imposter syndrome in, in certain populations. And there's a real need to include that focus as we talk about this. Yeah, I'd love for you to dig into that more, actually, because something that I hear you talk about is sometimes it's the system, not the person. And, and maybe we should look at it from a different lens. Yeah, especially when I was you know, kind of doing some additional research for this podcast, I put in imposter syndrome and first couple of things were really interesting. You know, one was a Harvard Business Review article that said, stop telling women they have imposter syndrome. And it was really <laughs> speaking to, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, hey, the problem is not inside the women. The, the, the problem is with the biases and the systems that have created this concept to begin with. And that's where the focus needs to be. The, you know, the thought was like, hey, we're, we're telling these women they need to fix what's happening with them internally. And, and that's not really getting at the root cause of it. Um, and I thought it was a really thoughtful article. And then the second one was infuriating. It was a major kind of pop psychology site. And the first thing it says for what causes imposter syndrome is it's triggered by certain personality types. And so it's, you know, it's very, you know, it's blaming of the people who are having these, these symptoms. And when you think about it, um, you know, if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, I mean, when you think about who gets put up on a pedestal as the examples of competency and mm -hmm. leadership and what, you know, what we've put out there. And it's often people who look like me and you as, you know, as, as white men, we have plenty of role models to look to. Um, you know, that's, that's easy and easy. You know, I, there are times where I, I've experienced some imposter feelings, including in this role, I'm able to move past them for a lot of reasons. And for folks of color, for women, those examples aren't there in the same way. There's a, you know, a, kind of a, a narrative, a cultural narrative around what competence and, and successful people look like. And if you don't have those examples all the time, of course, you're going to feel like an imposter. Of course, you're going to yeah. feel like, hey, I, I don't belong here. Um, this this isn't right. And I think it's so important to, to situate the imposter syndrome in that in, in that context. What are what are some of the things uh, some someone dealing with imposter syndrome maybe going through? What are they feeling? Uh, how does it affect their day to day? Yeah, you know, and I, I started to speak to a little bit earlier. I think there are different ways that people deal with this. Um, and there's research kind of breaking down five different types of responses or five different <laughs> types of kind of imposter presentations. But, you know, a really common one is perfectionism, like feeling like you need to get everything perfect. And that's a really high bar that we generally yeah. don't achieve, um, and that's hard. And the really kind of twisted part about imposter syndrome is the successes that people have when they're having those feelings get minimized, discounted. Oh, it was luck. Um, anybody could have done this. Um, and so you never get the good feelings, the sense of reward from accomplishing. Mm. And then when a failure happens, which is part of how we grow as people, all of us fail, it becomes a much larger deal. It becomes, well, this is just further proof that that I don't belong here. And so it's such a huge burden to carry and also something that's really hard to talk about. Um, you know, it, it feels so real inside to have those feelings. It's, it's, and it's personal. Yeah. It's, it's very, very personal. So as a therapist, how can you help someone dealing with imposter syndrome? What are some of the tools and tactics that you suggest? Yeah. You know, I think, I mentioned there's the, there's the larger context issues, and obviously, it, it, and I know the companies we work with have brought in experts on imposter syndrome and tried to address the systems that 
that create this. But in terms of what's in people's immediate control, a lot of it is is cognitive behavioral strategies. It's noticing when these thoughts, these feelings are coming up and instead of getting stuck on them and accepting them as fact, slowing down, thinking them through, considering what the evidence really shows, helping people think about how do you, how do the people closest to you see you? Would they identify you as a, as, as a fraud in this situation? How do they view your competence? Earlier in my career, I was really into something called narrative therapy. One of the core tenets of that is that we have these stories about ourselves and we don't construct them by ourselves. They get constructed by, by all sorts of people, larger society, the cultures in which we mm-hmm. live. And sometimes those narratives are really healthy for us and sometimes they're not. And in this case, coming back to the larger social context, if, if I'm somebody of color, if I'm a woman thinking about um, imposter syndrome, I'm thinking about that system and how it's, help to create these thoughts and feelings I'm having and thinking about not accepting those as an act of rebellion against these unjust systems. And I think that's a really kind of helpful mindset to have in these situations. It's like, forget this. No, like I'm not right. going to let this, this system make me feel unworthy and, and not deserving of this and, and really using that as fuel. Should we rebrand this diagnosis from imposter syndrome to imposter system? I, I love it. <laughs> I, I love that, Dan. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, would really appreciate that and enjoy it. Um, yeah. Let it be known today. We have changed the name. <laughs> love it. I, I'm going to mention as well that we're recording this during Minority Mental Health Month, and it fits in nicely. You know, speaking to mental health specifically, if we lift up for a second, I think one of the key things that we always talk about is access and the the way we can practice a little bit differently in our model. Um, what are you trying to do specifically to provide access? We're, we're trying to be open to anyone from any background. Yeah, I you know I think one is we really you know, we hire fantastic therapists who come from all sorts of different backgrounds, um, but they also practice from what the science shows works. And you know, we, we hire, hire really good people who say like, hey, this is what we know from research actually helps people. Uh, and so I think that's one is, is you know, we're only as good as our, as our people, as our therapists. And we have some really fantastic ones. Um, and then really wanting to have a value around, we want folks to actually have independence and autonomy. We don't want you to need us forever. We want you to develop the skills mm-hmm. and resiliency you need to handle whatever's in your life. And and I think that's that's really, really important. And some it's of that key tenant. It is. And some of that also involves building up a support system for yourself and learning how to be vulnerable with other people in your life. So your therapist isn't your one person that you can like be real with. I think oftentimes we keep so many things inside because of stigma or fear of rejection. And the reality is, is that so many of us are longing for that real connection with people and that if we find those safe people to connect with, that void gets filled and the therapist becomes mm. less, less necessary. So I think that that's important as well. I mean, I think there's a societal story around what therapy looks like. And it's this one-on-one therapy where I'm the patient on a couch and here's my therapist and I'm venting right. and, and it, you know, we do this every week you're really wanting to kind of transform that story and and think about other ways that you can 
access help and particularly for people who are really busy like how can you do therapy over messaging when it's convenient for you how can we deliver you therapy content that you can do work through send your therapist messages about it's, it's a highly effective way of getting the help you need and i think it would really benefit people if they were open to it well michael first of all i i definitely will need you back cuz i think we should go into stigma we should go into all sorts of different concepts and, and areas in the mental health scene, but also want you to know, you know, the work you're doing is pretty amazing and you are doing your part to change the world. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And and to all the folks listening, you know, I know imposter syndrome is, is such a challenge for so many, and that's part of why we did the research is, you know, we are seeing it so often and just know that we can help. We're you know, happy to do that and, and, and to help you move through these issues and, feel good about all the great things you're accomplishing. And so don't hesitate to reach out to us and do that. That's why we're here. Thanks so much, Michael. I've got an important question for you now. Yes. Are you ready for rapid fire? Yes. <laughs> all right, here we go. Okay. Um, you're on the hot seat. What is your favorite podcast at the moment? I, can, I give, can I give two? Yes, you can. Okay. One, you know, Dan, I'm a huge music guy and I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. So this is very unique to me, but it's a great podcast called the State of Love and Trust podcast with these guys who just do these amazing deep dives into all things Pearl Jam. Um, Just thoughtful, just really (laughs) fantastic. And I I love it as a Pearl Jam fanatic. The second is maybe more applicable to to other folks who don't have that very unique interest. Um, There's a great podcast called uh, Foreplay Radio. And it's a couples therapist and a sex therapist. And they're talking about all things relationship and sexuality. Um, and they just do such a fantastic job of talking about things that uh, we don't get a lot of practice at people or a lot of education around talking mm. about. Um, and I just think they just do a fantastic job talking about those issues. So highly recommend it to folks. That's fantastic. What's one thing you do every day to stay healthy? I try and learn something new every day. So I'm thinking about brain health in this way. I'm just always trying to remain curious and be a lifelong learner. So I want to learn something new every day. That's a good one. That is a really good one. Okay. So what's your guilty pleasure? I am i I'm I'm a soda drinker. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I get a, you know, that that's a tough one for, for, for healthy folks. It is delicious. Yeah. So that, that, that's definitely the guilty pleasure. Michael, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Dan. Anyone 18 or over in the United States can be a Crossover Health member. At Crossover, you stay connected to a care team that works together and gets to know you over time. A doctor, a nurse, a mental health expert, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a health coach, a fitness coach, and a care navigator. Go to crossoverhealth.com to join the healthcare revolution. If you like our podcast, please follow or subscribe and leave a review. If you have a topic you want us to explore, let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Crossover Health. Until next time, be well.